Hi. Good morning, Pastor Calvin. Good morning, David. Thank you for being on with me. Uh, to get us started, here's my first question for you. Abraham sacrificed much to obey God's calling. How have you done the same as a, as a doctor? Yeah, thank you for that question. I'd be happy to talk about that. Um, before I do, I think I have to give a little context about what I do at the hospital. I'm an internal medicine hospital doctor at medical centers in Richmond and Oakland here in the Bay Area. With the majority of my time spent in Richmond. Over the last three years, I've exclusively worked uh, the night shift as a so-called nocturnist. Um, Overnight from 8 p.m. to 8 a.m., I'm one of two doctors responsible for all inpatient care at the medical center, uh, including those patients in the ICU. I'm also responsible for admitting and caring all patients coming through the ER uh, that require hospitalization. And that's most of my 12-hour shift is actually spent in the emergency room or the ICU, caring for the sickest patients in the hospital during some of the busiest times and some of the fewest resources. Uh, what makes Richmond, the medical center I'm primarily at, unique is that it operates in a healthcare desert. Due to prior closures of other medical centers in the surrounding area, our medical center is the only remaining hospital for all of West Contra Costa County. Um, what that means is we have the lowest hospital bed per capita ratio in the entire Bay Area. There's just not enough beds. Um, we serve the poorest cities in the Bay Area, where the annual income is as low as 19000 a year with almost 20% living under poverty line. So to place in perspective, our ER in Richmond serves the same number of patients that our Oakland ER serves, uh, and our Oakland Medical Center is four times the size of our Richmond Center. Even before the pandemic, our hospital was dangerously overcrowded with some of the most vulnerable patients in the Bay Area. And now with COVID-19, we're being stretched like never before. Um, I take care of patients with the coronavirus every night. I've encountered patients as young as six weeks old, um, up to centenarians and every age in between. The majority of my patients fortunately do not require hospitalization. However, those that do, um, they tend to stay in our hospital for weeks to months with really far too many passing away. Um, Due to sweeping no visitor policies, these patients are completely alone. They're stressed, anxious, afraid, um, and inevitably their household family members are also infected to the point where they've admitted entire families to the hospital on the same night or sequential nights. Uh, it's just been devastating for the community. Um, I've never had to convey so much terrible news, and now on a nightly basis, and it's heartbreaking. It's incredibly hard. Um, but coming back to your question about sacrifice, I mean, my sacrifice seems pretty insignificant in comparison to those um, of the loss of my patients and my families. But the sacrifices, you know, along with my other frontline colleagues, do come with a cost and a burden to us. Um, I won't get into the sacrifices that are required to get to where I am today as a practicing physician. However, I can talk about some of them, um, some of the current sacrifices that I've had to make. The, the physical toll is, is grueling. Um, juggling multiple sick patients while trying to sneak in time to just meet basic needs, drinking water, eating. And then for me, you know, I return home at 8 a.m. after 12-hour night shift to three young boys at home, three months, two years, five years, to begin my second job. You know, I get about four to five hours of interrupted sleep during the day while trying to help basically homeschool the kids now and take care of them. And then I return for another 12-hour shift starting at 8 p.m. 
So there hasn't been any time for exercise. You know, our cooking at our household is basically reheating or takeout. Um, and I've literally worked to the point of exhaustion on one occasion at the hospital, passing out in the restroom and just waking up on the bathroom floor. Um, please know <laughs> this is one of those do as I say, not as I do moments as a doctor. But honestly, the hardest thing, the biggest sacrifice right now is the emotional and the mental trauma that I and my, my colleagues receive. I personally work really hard, like really hard to provide the best care for my patients because I would want the same for my parents and my wife and my kids. But when medicine inevitably fails or unexpected events occurs or I make mistakes, when my patients don't make it, it's traumatic to me too. And I can't tell you how incredibly awful it is to tell a patient or their family that, you know, we found a mass or it's terminal. We've done everything that we can and there's nothing else that we can do. The toll for me personally that it costs to be wholly present with these families who have to watch through glass, you know, as their loved ones go, it's, it's hard to be a lightning rod for all the patients and their, their families' emotions that come with the uncertainty of this pandemic, with death and dying. In those moments, I really want to grieve with those families. I want to be there to process my own emotions, guilt, anger, sadness, responsibility. It would be great to have that personal release along with them. But the truth is that I can't. I have to compartmentalize that moment because I have to move on to care for the next very sick patient so that the next patient has my clear focus, has my clear mind so that I can give them the same care that I give everybody. So at the end of the shift, you know, I'm left with all these mental and emotional baggage of the last night's encounters, compartmentalized away for processing later because I have to sleep. You know, I have to be present for my family at home as well. And over time, these unprocessed encounters just eat away at me. It um, manifests as, you know, misplaced anger at home, as chronic fatigue, as depression. I mean, trust me, I know. The weight of it all is really heavy, and it can drive me to despair. It's a big sacrifice. Wow. Uh, I, I just want to encourage everyone hearing this to remember to pray for Dr. David and for all of our healthcare frontliners as they stand in a gap battling the pandemic. Um, next question. When Abraham was asked to sacrifice his son, Isaac, it would have been the same as taking his own life. How do you deal with knowing the risks to your own health, especially in light of the pandemic serving your patients? That's um, a great segue question for all the despair I just left us in. The short answer, though, is my faith in Jesus. And to unpack that, um, your question asks, how do we act in the face of fear? You know, for Abraham and to some extent for me as a doctor during this pandemic, the, the fear of death. Um, and I think it's okay to be afraid. In fact, fear is, can be a beneficial thing. Um, think, think of fear as the brain's equivalent to pain. You know, like pain, fear signals to us that something is wrong. Something is not as it should be. Um, similarly, like pain, in excess, fear can be incapacitating. So how do we respond to fear, especially when we may feel paralyzed? Um, and that's where I go to my favorite scripture. One of my favorite scriptures is John 16, 33. Um, 
to give some context, you know, after the Last Supper, Jesus and his disciples are walking to the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus speaks to them all one last time before all the events leading up to the cross. And the very last thing that he says to his disciples before lifting them up in prayer is John 16, 33. And Jesus says to them, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So my faith is in Jesus, the only one to overcome this world. All of that injustice, all the oppression, the hate, the fear, the sickness, the despair, even death, all of this, Jesus overcame through his death and resurrection, reconciling us to God. So every terrible thing that I've shared about my experiences in the hospital during this pandemic, I can lift up to God because of Jesus. It's because of Jesus that I have hope, hope for justice, hope for freedom, for love, for peace, for forgiveness, for grace, and ultimately for life. It's because of Jesus that death has lost its sting and death is no more. Great word. My final question for you, David. Abraham had a faith that risked everything, assured he had abundance from God beyond his imagination. As parents, we have a responsibility to teach our children in the ways of the Lord. What would you say to your own children about your confidence in God's promises? Now, this is such a great question and one that I've thought a lot about in the past. You know, how to teach my, my boys to have faith in God. And my short answer um, is know God's character. You know, Abraham was 100 years old before Isaac was born. That's 100 years which Abraham built his relationship with God and got to know him. Abraham was an ordinary man and he had some major screw-ups in his life. Yet God showed him love and grace and demonstrated his goodness to Abraham time and again for over 100 years. And it was from his faith in God's unchanging character that Abraham, as fearful as he was, was able to trust in God and place Isaac on that table. My, my favorite books growing up, and still one of my favorites, are the Narnia series by C.S. Lewis. In the uh, second book, Prince Caspian, the youngest sister, Lucy, gets to meet Aslan again and says... Aslan, you're bigger. And Aslan replied, that is because you are older, little one, answered he. Not because you are. I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. I love that quote because it just shows that our faith matures as we get to know who God is and live our lives trusting in him, persevering even when we face trials of many kinds. As our faith matures, we know God to be bigger and bigger. And so I guess the first and most important question is, you know, what do we put our faith in? And for those listening who may not be Christians or who may not know God or Christ, I would encourage you to know and to explore who Jesus is. You know, you can start by reading some books, start by reading Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis or The Reason for God by Tim Keller. Um, read the Bible, you know, start with the Gospels, pick your favorite name, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and start by reading that one. You can also check out our home groups at Christian Lehman Church. We're all meeting virtually at this time, and I help along with my wife lead and, and host one of the young family groups. And we'd love to have you join with us, and I'd love to continue this conversation with you. And for those who have a relationship with Jesus, I would encourage you to learn about God's character. You know, read Knowing God by J.I. Packer, read the Bible, pray, work on deepening that relationship with God, and practice, really practice trusting him. You know, every night 
before I go into the hospital, I sit in my car and I pray. I ask God for peace, for wisdom. I pray for my colleagues. I pray for my patients. And after, I always feel an overwhelming sense of peace and clarity. And these are really scary and confusing times, I know. But take heart. Our faith is in the one who has overcome the world, the one who has defeated death. Well, thank you, Dr. David. I really appreciate your honest sharing and your wise words. May God bless you and protect you during this season.